right, everybody good? You all sound good tonight. You sound good. Sometimes you don't sound good. You sound good tonight, all right? Really, really good. Hey, hey, all of our campuses are linked together right now. And also, we're not going to forget about our brothers down at Lyman Prison who are joining us online. So we just welcome all our guys down there. We're not going to forgive about them, right? Again, everybody, so, so welcome to Christmas at Flatirons, especially this week. I mean, this is the last weekend before Christmas, right? Like six shopping days, all right? It comes this Saturday. And let me just give you one final reminder. We will not have services at any of our campuses on December 26th, next Sunday, okay? We will not have services on December 26th. I've said that twice, all right? And uh, even though I've said it twice and we haven't had services after Christmas for 15 years, some of you aren't listening, you need medication like me, right? You do, all right? So here's what's gonna happen next Sunday. You're gonna forget and you're gonna show up at our campuses and you're gonna drive in the parking lot and it'll be empty, but that won't be enough for you. You'll walk all the way up to the door and you'll try it to see if it's locked and it will be locked because we're closed that day, all right? And then you'll get mad at me or Flatirons. You'll walk back to your car, you'll drive home and you'll shoot off an email asking why we're not having Christmas uh, like services on Jesus's birthday. But we're not gonna answer that email because... I want to say you're dumb, but that wouldn't be very Christ-like, okay? But, you know, you are. I'll just say this way. Uh, your tree's missing some lights. How about that, all right? So, um, so anyway, we're not going to have services next week, but we will be back on January 2nd. I'll be back, and we'll be teaching about kind of what we're going to be doing the next year, okay? So anyway, we're, we're one week from Christmas, which for some of us, it brings up different emotions, okay? Some of you, like, six days, all right? And you're feeling really good. Like, some of you, I can tell this by looking at you, you're feeling a little cocky because you have all your shopping done. You know who you are. You started like in Halloween or maybe Easter, some of you, right? Like your, your presents are probably already assembled. No all-nighter for you. You've already wrapped them up. You have a secret storage unit and they're all waiting there for Santa to pick up. So from the rest of us to you, bless you. That's all I have to say, all right? Um, I, I can really say that I don't like you. I don't like, I put you in a category with people I can't talk about. Anyway, so, but, but here's, why, here's why Christmas kind of gets me all anxious, all right? I'll be honest with you. Robin does all of our shopping. I do none, okay? Um, so she does all of our shopping online. We don't go to the mall anymore, right? Uh, seriously, when I get home every day from work for the last month, my front porch looks like Amazon loading dock. I mean, it's just, it's just crazy. Like, she's shopping again. And she, she, she's great. She's the perfect, like, Christmas, like, nana. She's awesome. She reads, we have two kids. She reaches out to both those kids, find out what our, our six grandkids want. She goes and shops for all of them. She makes sure that every grandkid has the exact same amount of presents to unwrap at our house on Christmas Eve or Christmas, Christmas morning. Uh, she, she, if you go to my house right now, they're all sorted into, into piles. Every kid will have their, their, their pile. She orders the, the Santa wrapping paper. The only thing I have to do at Christmas is I have to wrap presents. And I want to say this, I'm awesome at it, all right? I just pat myself on the back, all right? I'm like, my, 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 my wife's so awesome. She even picks out something for my mom and sends it to Tennessee. That's the kind of wife I have, okay? Here's, yeah, good applaud for her, great. Here's where it gets tricky. Don't, you're gonna take that back in a minute. You're gonna find out what her heart's really like, right? So, so we're, at, we're at a stage in life, you know, where we're empty nesters, okay? So here's what our life looks like. We don't usually wait for birthdays or holidays anymore to buy stuff. If we want it, we just order it and the Amazon fairy brings it, okay? So it's, it's on my porch in two or three days. That's our life, okay? So that's normal. But that doesn't stop me <laughs> for wanting stuff. So when Robin says, hey, Jim, what do you want for Christmas? I got a list on my phone. I've been thinking, all right? Like she goes, uh, I, if you're asking, here's what I want. I'd like some range-finding binoculars and some new ammo to go with a new rifle that I bought for myself. Thank you, all right? And then my friend Micah has a new smokeless fire pit, which would be really cool, all right? And then I've been thinking, our big, big screen TV in our, in our bedroom isn't that big, but I found a big screen TV 
be at Costco, debt would be for both of us, all right? And, and we could enjoy it because I'm a giving person. And it's Jesus' birthday, all right? So, so then, all right, so I'm into that. And then I, then I should have stopped. But I turn and I look at her, hey, babe, what can I get you for Christmas? And a bunch of you guys already see this coming because you've fallen into this trap because she looks back at me and goes, oh, nothing. I don't really need anything. And I'm like, no, 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 no. That is not fair. And you're a liar, okay? You cannot say nothing. First of all, it makes me look like a greedy jerk because I just gave you a list of 27 really expensive stuff that I actually want you to go buy, all right? And the second thing is you don't mean it. You don't mean it. I see that look in your eye. Sister, I'm onto your game. I've fallen for it before. And I know that if on Christmas morning, if I don't have something for you to unwrap, simply because you go, oh, nothing, all right? It will not be a Merry Christmas for anyone. It'd be more than chestnuts roasting on an open fire. It's almost say. <laughs> that sounds dirty, but it's not. All right, anyway, so, see, see here's, listen, ladies. I just want to talk to the ladies, all right? We get it. I, I get it. You want, us, you want us to put some thought into it. Like, and, like, get you something that intuitively, like, we should know that it's meaningful to you. Okay, here's the thing is, okay, ladies? You give us way too much credit. We're, we're not that smart. We're not, all right? We love you. We love you. We do, all right? But when you say, oh, nothing, all you've given us for Christmas is an anxiety-induced ulcer. Thank you. <laughs> so please hear this. So this is the best thing here in church, okay? Ladies, six days. Order something for yourself, okay? <laughs> Give it to us. We'll wrap it up. We'll hand it to you on Saturday. You'll say, it's perfect. The whole room will think I'm a great husband or whatever that is. It's efficient. Everybody wins, except the marriage counselor who won't get $2,000 to put us back together, Help me help you. <laughs> Guys, can I get an amen there? Come on, all right? Again, that's the best thing you heard in church. But anyway, welcome to Flatirons. Y'all think this is water. <laughs> anyway, so, okay. So it's Christmas. It, that's water. All right, and, and I guess I should say something spiritual or inspirational. So let's talk about this Christmas story we've been talking about for the last month. We've been unpacking it again, not just the hows of the events about how like Jesus was born in Bethlehem, but here's what we're really digging into. Why? Not just the how, but the why, followed by, and if that why is true, what are the implications for us today, 2,000 years after that whole Bethlehem story? So let me kind of review for you if you weren't, we weren't here. Okay, so on, on week one, we watched how God picked a, like a 15-year-old high school-aged girl. Her name was Mary. And a, and a most likely a, a young, like 20-something-year-old uh, guy who's working construction. His name was Joseph. He chose those two kids to give birth to and raise his one and only son. His name is Jesus, who God said, and I'm going to quote him, I'm going to send him to take away the sins of the world. That's why I'm, I'm sending my son into the world, okay? So the, the why is because God loved, not loved, loves people and wants people who are far from God to be brought back closer to him, to have anything that separates anybody from God, have that removed so that any person can, can live in like daily close intimacy with God, that's the, that's, the, that's the why. The how was, hey, Mary, Joseph, I choose you. Are you in or not? Are you in or out? And they said, we're in, and they changed the world. And the takeaway from that first week goes like this. God chooses to use ordinary people to do extraordinary things if they are willing to say yes. And we're not talking about them. We're, just, we're talking about you. God can use you to do something. And all you have to do is say yes to him. Then last week, we saw how God tends to operate by choosing to make known the greatest like, event, the greatest news in the history of the universe up to that point, 
He didn't make it known to the rich and the powerful and the famous, but to a group of poor, forgotten, like throwaway shepherd boys. It's not the way I would have written the story. It's not the way most of us would have sent our son into the world. Here's what changes everything. But God. But God tends to do things that we wouldn't do, and he chooses people that nobody else would have chosen. Why would he do that? So that at the end of the day, when he does what only he can do, there is no mistake. Nobody could have done that. Nobody could have made it happen, but God did. But God changes everything, and he's the one who'll get the credit and the glory. And the takeaway last week goes like this. God chooses to use ordinary, even disqualified people that nobody else would choose to make extraordinary, impossible things become possible for them and for others. And the them is us. It's you. He's talking about you. Even if you're disqualified, God, God can use you. So, so today, I, I, wanna, I wanna go back to, I started talking about presents and giving presents at Christmas. So I wanna talk about that. But to do that, I, I wanna actually jump ahead a couple years after Jesus is born, even though traditionally the story we're gonna look at today is always lumped into that same like manger scene, nativity set that includes you know, shepherds and, and angels in and, and, and the manger, right? But the text we're gonna look at says that what we're gonna look at today probably happened like two years after Jesus was born. And I wanna look at the story of the wise men, all right, the magi, all right? And there's no mention of there being three wise men. It's not in the Bible. I don't know where it came from. Somebody wrote a song and it stuck, all right? Or maybe because there were three gifts, they went, oh, three wise men, all right? There could have been 47 wise men. Who knows? It was a party. I don't know, right? But in the Bible, we don't know how many there were. So stick with three, you're fine. Okay, so we're in Matthew chapter two, verse two, story of the wise men. It goes like this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. Now, a little history lesson. Let me unpack all the characters here, okay? First of all, we got a king. His name's Herod. He's the king of the country called Israel, but he's actually a puppet king for Rome because the Roman Empire had taken over Israel, so he's just working for Caesar. Got that right? So although he is Jewish by birth, he doesn't practice his faith in any meaningful way, if at all. And that's the king, all right? The, the magi, or the wise men, as some version call them, right, are most likely, don't hear magi like they were magicians, but probably they were like, um, like court astrologers, like they would work for the king or somebody important, and they would study the stars and they would study the planets, and then they would give interpretations of what they mean and how they were all lining up, and they would give that to the leaders, and the leaders would make decisions based off what was happening in the, in the stars. Now before, if you're like me, you look at that and go, this, that's weird. That, that's a weird way to run a government. Although, never, never mind, uh, so, so, I'm gonna stay right here, okay, but anyway, right, anyway. So like, like fortune tellers and, and like handing out advice from crystal balls and like, hey, we're gonna run our government based on your zodiac sign, okay? But here's, here's the thing about this, all right? There is no shortage of Bible verses, especially in the parts of the Bible before Jesus, that indicate that a person can look up to the sky and study the stars. The, the Bible calls them like signs and wonders to find out what God is up to. As a matter of fact, later in Jesus' ministry, he says this, if you'll pay attention to the heavens, the heavens will declare that the end is near and I'm about to return, if you'll pay attention. So there's something going on there. So anyway, these, these, these magi, they've been studying the stars and everything, and whatever they're studying, they have determined that a star has risen, and apparently three things have happened based on what they studied about the star. The first one is this, a baby has been born. The second thing is, this baby is a king. And the third thing is somehow he is connected to Israel. 
So they want to check this out. They have traveled from some country east of Israel, so somewhere in the Middle East, in search of this special baby. And when they get to Jerusalem, which is the capital of Israel, they start asking around, has anybody heard about a baby like a king being born because we saw a star? And all this gets back to Herod the king, and he finds out about it. So verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ, the Messiah, right, was, was to be born. So, so King Herod's not happy. He's not happy about this news, which makes sense because if a new king has been born, that means that he's gonna want my job. Right? If a new king has been born, he's going to come after me. All right? So all right, he brings in, he has his own magi. So he brings in his advisors and everything. And he asks them, hey, where, according to Jewish whatever, is this Messiah going to get born? All right? And so they've studied the Old Testament prophecy. And they went, well, accordingly to, this, to these verses that they believe, he's going to be born in Bethlehem, which is just a few miles out of here. Right? Now, before we go on, time out here. I want to show you something here, all right? And I've missed, I, it's so funny, you can read the Bible over and over, and then a phrase will jump out of you going, where's that been? Right? It's like, like, look at this. So, so when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. That makes sense. And, and all Jerusalem with him. I get why King Herod was upset, but why was the whole city, like, upset? And here's why. So I studied around this, all right? And, and here's what was going on. About 60 years before they showed up in Jerusalem, some other magi, because they were all over the place, all right? They had showed up in Rome, and they had announced that they had studied the stars, and a new king had been born in the Roman Empire. And when Caesar finds out another king has been born, he sends an entire army to that region, and he kills every baby in that, in that age demographic, wipes them all out. And so Jerusalem is upset because in their minds are, is, is this. Is that going to happen here? I mean, if you're a mom and you just heard that, oh, no, what, remember what happened back here? Is that going to happen in our town? So for good reason, all right? So Herod is going to go after this baby. So verse 7. So then Herod summoned the, summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what, the star, what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem saying, go and search diligently for the child. And when you found him, bring me word, here it is, that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So I don't know how God does this. He spoke to Mary through an angel and Joseph through an angel. Somehow God communicates, do not go back to Jerusalem. Don't go back to Herod. He does not want to worship this baby. He wants to kill this baby. So find another way home. So they bypass Jerusalem to, to get home. Now, here's what we don't have time to get to. After they leave, an angel tells Joseph, hey, Herod's gonna kill this baby, pack up Mary and the baby, and go to Egypt until Herod is dead, which, which, which Joseph does, and they leave in the middle of the night. Now, Herod finds out about this, and he's not happy. So he takes his cue from Rome, right? Look at this. Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all the region. You gotta let that soak in for a minute. He killed every baby boy two years and older in that town and in, and in every proximity in, in the area. And in all that region, who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from, from the wise men. So that's where we get that, that two-year time frame since Jesus was, was born. So how do you apply that to Christmas? 
It's going to be a happy Christmas. Right, right, right? Um, well, there, there's several things I was looking at uh, for, to apply this. So, so try to follow me because this, this, it's hard, right? So follow me in a journey in my head where I get to where we're going to land today. <laughs> Good luck. Buckle up. All right. So here we go. The first way I thought about applying the wise men's story was that famous saying that I see on a lot of Christmas cards. I've gotten two this year, I think, so far, and a lot of bumper stickers that says, wise men still seek him. Everybody seen that one? It's on cuffy mugs at every church bookstore, right? So wise men and women still seek him. Why? So that they can worship him. And that's true. That's just true. But if that's true, then I can't leave out the other part of the story, the King Herod part, which would say, say this, foolish, insecure, troubled men and women try to, try to kill Jesus to protect their own crowns. They're not gonna be successful, but they try to eliminate Jesus. So I'm working through that idea when this hit me. Have you ever noticed, if you've read the Bible, and if you haven't, let me tell you, if you do, you're gonna find some it's just tough stuff in there, okay? But here, here's, a, here's a theme from cover to cover in the Bible. It goes like this. When Satan wants to attack like, and ruin what God is trying to do in, in this world, he doesn't like, directly attack God. He's tried that before. It didn't go well. God kicked him out of heaven. Great story. Don't have time for it right now, okay? But he kicks him out, right? So Satan can't attack God directly. So what Satan does is he goes after God's image bearers, his people. That would be us, but as you read through the pages of the Bible, normally Satan just doesn't go after all of God's people. He targets, what I've seen is, he targets their children. And here's what I want kind of to stick here, is that if, if you read the pages of the Bible or if you've experienced life, all right, Satan loves to destroy children. I mean, there's, there's a history of it. Think about it, all right? Like, we just did a men's Bible, like, uh, like, like a, a men's series, and we looked at the story of Adam and Eve and how Adam and Eve rejected God's authority and the wage of sin is death. But if you read the story, the, the first recorded death in the Bible wasn't Adam or Eve. It was, it was their son who was killed by his brother. Satan didn't go after Adam and Eve. He destroyed their family. He went after the kids. Or how about this? When Moses, remember Moses is a really famous guy in the Bible. When he was born, the king of, king of Egypt, Pharaoh, had all the baby boys, two years and younger, killed. Moses survived because his family went and hid him in the reeds by the river. We already made reference to the Roman massacre. Rome knew that the way to control the future is to protect, and to protect their own agenda was to eliminate the competition. We'll just eliminate the next generation. Now what we just saw was that when Jesus was born, we see the same theme played out. We see it played out here, but if you look at the world we live in right now, we see the same one being played out right now. It goes like this. If you want to send a message out to let people know that God either can't help you or won't help you and that his truth for you isn't really true and his plan really won't work for you, here's how you, here's how you send out that message. You attack the most important thing in their life, which is usually their children, and then look at them and go, where's God now? You ever felt that? So I'm, I got all that going through my head, okay? And, and, and it got me thinking about this, how we as a church, I mean, if you're new here around Flatters, you're visiting, let me tell you the kind of church that you've found yourself in today. We as a church truly believe that God has a calling on this church's life to reach out and, and love and care for the next generation coming up behind us. And we're talking about babies all the way through college students because it feels like 
It, it looks like Satan has targeted our children and wants to do what Jesus warned that Satan wants to do. He wants to steal and kill and destroy their lives. And like we've been covering over the last several weeks in here, before Satan kills our kids, he wants to hurt them and abuse them and confuse them with lies about who they are and their value and where it comes from and what it's based on. Is it based on their looks or their accomplishments or their popularity or their gender or their sexuality? Satan wants to kill the, the hopes and dreams that God has put inside of them for their future. The way he wants to do that, he wants to overwhelm their present life with stress and anxiety and depression and then convince, convince them to take their own life. And we see it all the time. That, that point in their life when they, they need true love and a real relationship and all they have is a shelf full of sports trophy and an online TikTok persona that, that isn't real and certainly can't help. We're losing kids in droves. I've, like I've said several times, we, I've done more next-gen funerals in the last two years than I've done COVID funerals. So the church said, time out, no more. Flat on says, we're done with that, okay? Not on our watch. So we looked back at God and go, God, what do you want us to do? And I'm gonna talk about what God has, God's told this church to do, right? So I have all that going through my head, and I thought, how, how do I tie that together and have people walk out of here with a Merry Christmas, all right? So, so how do I tie the wise men and Christmas with next gen and what Herod's doing, all right, right? And then I had an aha moment. And I started studying the gifts that the, that the wise men brought Jesus. Remember what the three gifts were? Matthew chapter two, verse 11. Opening their treasures, they, they offered him gifts. Gold and frankincense and and myrrh. So what I want to do, I want to look at those real quick. Then we can take communion here in, in, in a few minutes, but let's just unpack these gifts. All right. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Let's first let's look at gold. Okay. You hear gold and you first think expensive. You hear gold, you think value. And that would be the right answer, right? Gold is very valuable. So if if you're gonna give a a birthday present to a king, what are you gonna give him? You're gonna give him gold because it communicates, I think you have a lot of value. I think you have a lot of worth. So Anytime you hear gold in this story, I want you to think value, right? Got it? So that second gift was frankincense. And this one took a little bit more study, but frankincense is what it sounds like. It's a kind of incense. But what makes this, this incense special is that it's the kind of incense that only was, was, was used by a priest, and he used it in the temple as an act of worship, which meant if you had frankincense, your identity was that made you a priest, and so I did a word study on the word priest because I'm a nerd and that's what I do. And the word priest literally translates bridge builder. A priest builds a bridge, a connection between people and God. Right, it makes sense, right? And then we read in the Bible that Jesus is our great high priest. He connects us back to God. But then the Bible goes on and it says this, speaking to all Christians, when you put your faith in Jesus, that makes us all a priesthood of believers. So when you hear frankincense, I want you to think identity. Gold, value, I, right? Frankincense, identity. I'm a priest. I'm connected to and I'm connecting other people to God. So let's take a time out right there. Because this is, I got stuff going off in my head going, this is so, this is so good. Because when I think of those two gifts and the greatest needs of, of our next generation, it would be this. See if you agree with me. I need to know that I have value and I need to know where my value comes from. And the second would be, I need someone to walk with me and connect, connect me back to God. And if a kid knows that they have value and they knows where that comes from and they knows that they are connected to God, that kid could change the world. I don't know. I just have a passion to give back what's been given to me. We've been given the greatest gift of all, right? And that's God's grace. 
Why wouldn't you want to share that with as many people as you possibly could? I struggle with anxiety and I've lost a lot of people in my life. Uh, I've lost 19 people and I'm 17 years old. 10 of them have been suicides, a couple of them have been overdoses. The majority of the guys that are with me I've known since sixth grade or end of their fifth grade year. I remember the, the first day of summer camp and then I had this group of sixth graders. I was sitting on the bus and I was just like, man, what did I get myself into? <laughs> I just remember leaving that room saying that dude's gonna be a part of our group because he opened up on the first night. And me, I've always drawn towards Harry because Harry's been a man who's always stepped first, especially in my life. Like Harry, Harry wasn't afraid to, to speak truth into my life. And I think that's what has caused our group to be so close. I enjoyed hanging out with you guys, so I was like, maybe I'll go back next week. And now it's been seven years. <laughs> my parents got divorced. I moved to Colorado. Like me and my two brothers moved to Colorado with my mom. Um, my dad followed us a year later. He ended up passing uh, my sophomore year in high school. So I was like, day before Father's Day. We had a couple friends. They lived next door to a guy that was a volunteer youth group leader. And he's just like, hey, what are you guys doing on Wednesday night? And he invited, invited us out to uh, come to youth group. And, you know, we went and checked it out. And, and it was a lot of fun. And we're just like, hey, you know, like, let's keep going back. And, and what that meant to me in my life is uh, just tremendous. When you become an adult, and then you don't have that male figure to turn to and ask some of those coming to manhood type questions. It, it becomes a realization, right? But that's one of those things. I mean, that kind of feeds into why I do what I do and why I'm so passionate about it. Harry's like, if not like a father type of figure in our lives, like he's like a best friend as well. So I've definitely always struggled with inner things of not feeling good enough or not being loved or having the thought of, uh, you're better off, people are better off without you, so you should just leave. Uh, I, I was driving on the highway one night, and, and I just remember sitting there, and I was freaking out. Like, I was, I was hyperventilating. I was trying to pull over, and uh, the thought came of you could pull into the other side of the highway, and it'd be, and it'd be done. There's been, there's been things in me that say where the lies come so dark and so deep that it's like you, you're, you don't belong here. You, you need to go. I actually went through a phase of super bad panic attacks. I was sitting in my dark closet under a weighted blanket, freaking out for a couple hours, and Harry was on the phone with me while he was working at his job. Like, that's how much that man cares about me, but that's also how much he cares about our group. So for me, it's cool that I know I have a mentor and a lifelong friend that's 20 minutes from me. Where would you be without having that mentor in your life growing up? Oh man, I'd be in a world of hurt. Where would you be without Harry, without this, this group of young men? Probably dead. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't say that lightly. We meet here on Tuesdays um, for student ministry stuff, and, and then on Sunday mornings, we all go to church together. We've all made that a big big thing about being a tight group is we want to we want to learn um, and we want to live life together. I've been proactive on saying let's do church together so 
you know, hey, let's all go to the same service and, and kind of be a group at church. That way it's just kind of like building that relationship is, is that we're in this together. We're just striving as a group to, uh, to, to challenge each other and be better um, and change, change the world. We, we say that all the time in our group. Let's go change the world like how Jesus would want us to. I mean, Harry has changed 10 of us by just showing us that God loves us. Jim talks about 2 a.m. friends. This is, that, that's this group right here. If you want to change the world in this movement, you got to change the kids that are going to lead the movement. Harry has, has shown me how God loves me and views me and how community is effective. So now for me, I want to go change middle schoolers' lives so they can once, one day, be like me. Mary was a teenager and Joseph was like 20. Like people that are close to my age and they changed the world. That kind of, that kind of lit a fire in me of like, I can change the world. Hey, I'll see you guys at church. Hey, will you welcome Harry and the boys right here? Come on. Yeah. Uh, so we've been talking about uh, value, and we've been talking about identity, and you guys have spent, some of you, seven years together, right? Going, getting ready to go to college and do some different stuff. What, what, is, what is it that you know is true about you that maybe you wouldn't have known if it wasn't for the last seven years of, of hanging out with this guy right here? Uh, yeah, I think my identity is, like what I've learned about my identity is it's not based off what the world or society says, but it's deeply rooted in what Jesus has said about me. And what Jesus said about me and that I know uh, is that I'm loved and I'm valued and I'm cherished and I'm called. And all those things are on purpose for a purpose. And that's what I've kind of learned uh, through this group these last seven years about my identity in Christ. All right, nice. Eric, you wanna give it a shot? I think uh, one of the biggest things for me that I learned just with being these, with these guys is even through my brokenness, like I'm still worthy of God's love. That's and right. uh, it's, it's been a journey with you guys, so thank you. All right. So Harry, we've been talking about, we started with Mary and Joseph, and God can use ordinary people who say yes. And Seven years ago, you, you jumped in as a bunch of fifth graders, and now they're going off you know, as, young, as young men. What, what is the one thing, as their leader, that you want to make sure they leave this group knowing? Well, I'd say that it all starts with you, not only just showing up, your willingness to show up every week and let God speak into your lives and pour into one another, and that's the foundation of our community, right? And above that, as you go to take on the world, um, just maintain your focus on God. You know, as long as you maintain your focus on God, you'll be able to overcome and accomplish more than you could ever imagine. Like, I'm, I'm so proud of these guys right here. Um, and I'm so proud of the men of God they're becoming. Yeah. Hey, so I know what they've gotten out of this, okay? So you said yes to God. Like, and here's my prayer, is that there's a bunch of men and women out there going, my heart's beating different. I think I might want to do something. Like, what do you get out of this? We had this, uh, we had this conversation a couple weeks ago, and uh, where, where a bunch of these guys, you know, like the, especially teenagers, have a kind of struggle with, with finding that tangible. Like, they're like, well, 
how can I see it or how can I believe in it when, when it's not tangible to me? Um, and I know a lot of us struggle with that, um, but when you're around this and, and you're pouring in and you're building and establishing this type of community, um, it's just amazing. You see God move through each and every one of them and you see the work that he's doing and it is the most tangible thing. Yeah. Yeah, so before I did, I was a youth pastor for 22 years before I got this gig. And uh, just hanging with you guys takes me back. This, is the, this may be the most important thing we do as a church right here. So can we, as a, as a church, can we just pray for, for Harry and the guys and then we'll, we'll keep going, right? So, so God, I, I do, I thank you. Uh, thank you for all these guys, but I, I'm gonna start with Harry. God, you use an ordinary person who says, yeah, God, use me. I don't know what I'm doing, but if you'll go with me, I'll... I'll, I'll just take it one step at a time. And when he said yes, he had no idea that he'd be changing these young men's lives. God, I thank you for these young men. Um, they're not just the future of the church, they are the present, and they're making a difference already. They are, they are world changers. And uh, I just pray that you would protect them, guide their path, guide their hearts, and, uh, and, and make it clear to them, as clear as an angel speaking to them, I have a plan for your life. Show them what it is and give them the strength and courage to do it. God, I thank you for this group of young men who have come together, because uh, this, is, this is your heart. Uh, this is your mission. And when we get to join you in it, there's no better honor in our life. So we bless these men and we thank you for them. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Will you encourage them one more time, all right? Nice. <clears throat> yeah. So this, uh, before we move on, right? This is what it's all about. That's what it's all about. Here's what I know is happening right now, okay? Every young man, every young woman in here is going, I want that whether they say it out loud or not, right? And all the old, old guys like us were going, I would have given anything to have that at a point in my life when I was all by myself. We're, we're gonna run after this. We're gonna run after kids. We're gonna run after middle school, high school. We're gonna, we're gonna pour just an absurd amount of money, time, and energy into investing in next gen, all right? We are going to... Gosh, so many things. We're, we're gonna hire a bunch of staff. We're gonna send every camp, every kid in Colorado that wants to go to camp. We're gonna pay for counseling for, for kids and their parents who are going through mental anguish right now. We're gonna scholarship people to go to stuff that they couldn't afford on their own. We're gonna do everything that we can do to take care of kids, all right? Well, besides spending a bunch of money, let's stick on money for a second, all right? I got a captive audience, let's talk money. It's gonna be expensive, I'm not apologizing for this. Merry Christmas, all right? Meaning this, over the next three years, we're gonna spend about $4 million, and we're raising money for the next gen. You need to pray about it, say amen, and then figure out how much you can give, because there's nothing more important this church is gonna do in the next decade than, than invest in the next generation of students that are coming up behind us. So pray, and then give, and then pray, and give some more. Rob and I are gonna stretch ourselves as far as we can for this, because we believe in this. How do I give? You can get on your phone right now, or grab the lady's phone next to you and give like she ought to give, all right? You can text next gen to giving, which is four four. Take a picture of that four four eight four six four, whatever it is. All right, and then you can just put in an amount there right now. But but this is what we do around here. We're gonna run after that. But here's the other thing. All right, if you're a middle school, high school, or college student, on January the fourth, we're gonna have a huge party in this room for all the middle school, high school, and college students that are represented by this church. And any any adult that says I want to maybe maybe find out what it means to actually do what Harry's doing with those. I want, I want to lead. We're gonna have a big party in here on January 4th. Y'all are invited to that. We want to raise up hundreds and hundreds of adults to mentor kids, to come alongside kids. We're not gonna to try to replace their parents. We want to come along beside them. Does that make sense? And so we're gonna go after them hard because this is what this church is all about. Okay, now I have one more gift. I almost forgot. I have one more gift. Remember what the third gift is? Gold, frankincense, and 
myrrh, okay? And I'm pretty sure that when that, that wise man handed Mary, I don't know, a bottle of or a package of myrrh, she was a little confused. Because, well, myrrh could be used for a lot of different things like antiseptic, most typically, all right, myrrh was used as part of the embalming process back then, meaning before you stuck a body in a tomb and wrapped it up in cloth, you, you, you covered it with, with myrrh, then you wrapped it up and you put it in the tomb. So you got a picture, kind of this scenario, embalming fluid as a baby shower gift which would be the worst gift ever, okay? So, so when you hear myrrh, here's what I want you to think. Death. Because I'm pretty sure that's what Mary's like, thank you, right? So let me, let me unpack a little more. So last week we looked at this one little verse about Mary's response to everything that was happening around her. She's a 15-year-old young, young lady, right? And, and she's got a lot coming at her. She's got angels showing up and shepherds showing up. And now we see these wise men show up. And here's the response that we looked at, at from Mary last week. Mary treasured them all up, in, right? And she pondered them in her heart. So she's getting all this stuff and she's pondering them. You think? Because let me translate what ponder means, all right? Mary's doing a lot of math in her head. And she's trying to make all this make sense. So an angel shows up and tells her, and then another angel shows up and tells Joseph that the baby that she's gonna deliver that's been put inside of her by the Holy Spirit is actually the son of God. He's the savior of the world, and he will save people from their sins. And then she delivers this baby in a cave surrounded by sheep that are being raised to be slaughtered in a temple in Jerusalem because that's how people get forgiven for their sins. And then in that stable, some shepherds show up and say, I, we heard the same message from the angel. And then, I don't have time to get to this part of the story, a few days after that, Mary and Joseph take Jesus to Jerusalem to the temple to be circumcised, and an old man walks up to him and goes, can I hold that baby? And he looks at the baby and goes, this baby is the salvation of the world. He will console and reconcile everybody back to God. And then as he's handing the baby Jesus back to Mary, he says, and as you watch him do this, a, a, a sword will pierce your soul. Here's your baby. So she pondered all that on that first night and she's still pondering all these years later. And I wonder if she pondered it for 33 years because I wonder if she stood at the foot of the cross with Jesus' disciple and his friend, John, holding her together as she looks up at her son, there's that baby grown up and is now nailed to a cross. I wonder if it all became clear to her, this is what that meant. I mean, on some level, I think she, she knew some stuff, but she probably didn't want to think about it. But in this moment at the cross, it hit her. This is, this is the Why? The entire reason that Jesus was born that night in that stable, this is what the angel was talking about. This is why those shepherds came. They wanted to see the baby who would grow up to do this. This is why the wise man gave me embalming fluid. Myrrh, 33 years ago. Somehow he knew this day would come when my son dies. So let me take you back to the three gifts and next gen. Gold, value, frankincense, identity, myrrh, death. Here's how this all comes together for me, all right? What do we have to offer anybody, really? Right? What do we have to offer anybody in the world, let alone the next generation coming up after us, all right? I mean, we can give it a shot. We can do some good things in the world. We can offer community. We can offer friendship where you can feel safe and, and, and loved and accepted. And those guys would say they, they, they received that. We can offer trips and camps that are tons of fun. And all those guys have been to our camps, all right? And we can do that. But so can most community centers in most center, in cities. And if you join the right sports league, you can have a good time, find some real good buddies, all right? How about this? We can offer counseling for kids and families who are fighting mental health challenges. But you know what? Get your phone out right now and Google it. There's no shortage of people saying, I can help. 
There's counselors everywhere, okay? So what do we have to offer? And if you want to get really, really, really honest and strip everything away, the only thing that we have to offer anybody on the planet, next gen or old gen like me, comes down to this. All we have to offer is Jesus. That's it. All we got, we just got this Jesus guy. And this is the gospel. This is the message of Jesus. Jesus is the why behind Christmas. It started in a manger and it was fulfilled on Easter morning. What, was, what is this gospel that you're, you're, you're saying is behind Christmas? It goes like this. For God so loved the world. Take out world, just put your name in there. For God so loved you. And you have a struggle with that. Because due to sin and confusion and anger and hurt and pain and just life, it didn't feel like God loves us. And so we look back at God and go, I don't know if I love you. Look at my life. So we look back at God, a lot of us, and we said, God, I don't, I don't need you in my life. I can run my own life apart from you. But a day came when we realized, this is, my life's not going well. And we started losing hope. We, had no, we, we didn't know what we were gonna do. We were desperate and lost and we were alone. And we had no idea. Does anybody know how to fix themselves? I can't fix anybody, I can't even fix myself. And then in the back of my mind is, I wonder if I could reconnect with God as if he would wanna take me back. There's no way that could be true. But God, but God so loved you. Here's the thing, but God has never stopped loving you. Even though you and I, we have given him every reason why he ought to stop loving us. He's never stopped loving any of us. And to demonstrate his love for us, it goes like this, before we, showed up at church, before we loved God, before we even knew God or cared about God, if before we worshiped God, before we even, I don't know, asked God to do anything for us in our direction. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son. His name was Jesus. He was born in Bethlehem. He lived a sinless life. He taught us about how much God loves us and what it would look like to love God back and how to love one another better than we currently are. And as he taught us about that, the very people that he came to save nailed him to a cross, saying, we don't want to hear about that kind of God. They tried to get rid of him, but God. Two words that change everything. Use his death on a cross to count as the payment, as the wage of sin, which is death. And here's what we have to offer. He, he died. He was buried in a tomb. He was, and my sin was buried with him. And as they laid him in that tomb, he was probably anointed with myrrh. The world says he's gone, but, but God, three days later, wrote, raised him from the dead. So, so myrrh does mean death. But here's the thing about myrrh. It doesn't mean your death, but because of Jesus and his death, you will never die. You don't have to worry about death ever again. For God still loves you, still loves you, that he sent his one only son, Jesus. And whoever puts their faith in him, who he is, as best you can understand, and what he has done for you. It says you will not perish. There is no condemnation. There is no punishment from God. There is no hell for you. You can live with God forever, eternal life. And eternal life is this religious thing. It gets all crazy. It's like, you mean after I die, after my funeral, I go to some Disney castle and, the, and live with God? No, no, no. Eternal life starts today. You can start living with God in your life today and it lasts on forever. Now, we're gonna take communion together. You say, well, that, I don't, that would make sense on Easter, but why are we doing it on Christmas? Here's why. If you look around on your drive home tonight, er, there are symbols everywhere. We're a people of symbols. 
You're gonna see lights, and they symbolize something. You're gonna see stars, they symbolize something. You put up a tree, it symbolizes something. You're gonna give gifts, you're gonna all these things, and they're very symbolic because we're people of symbols, and Jesus knew that. And so he's, he, he gave us some symbols because he knew, like Chino was talking about, there are days in our life when life's gonna get really, really, really hard where we're gonna make some mistakes. We're gonna think about maybe pulling into traffic, just saying the world would be better off without me. And we're gonna need to remember that God still loves us so much so that he gave Jesus to us and would give him again if that's what it took. But it was enough. So, so communion is a gift. It goes like this. On, on the night that he was arrested, the night before he was nailed to that cross, he gathered his disciples in a, in a room. And here's another thing around that's gonna ruin some of your Bible visions, all right? Don't think old, bearded, like, men. The disciples that followed Jesus around were probably teenagers, early 20s. He was gonna invest in this next generation to take the gospel to the world. And so he got him in a room and he, and he took the Passover meal. He says, I'm gonna give it a new meaning. And he took bread and he broke it. He says, I want everybody to eat a piece of this. And then they did. And he said, this is my body. And they were like, what? And he's like, it, I know it doesn't make sense today, but tomorrow it will when you, when you see my body nailed to a cross. And then he... Then he, took, then he took some wine. He says, so this wine now is gonna represent my blood. And again, the faces in the room had to go, what are you talking about? He's like, it won't make sense today, but tomorrow it will because the wages of sin is blood, it's death. But I don't want you to die, so I will die for you. And it'll all make sense tomorrow when you see me hanging on a cross. And then you won't even believe it until I come back to life and prove to you it's true. So we're gonna take communion together doesn't prove anything to God. It's a gift from God to say, I still love you and I'm still here. I still forgive you. I still wanna be a part of your life. And that's what Jesus gives us. Now, we come from a lot of different backgrounds. And here's what's going on in our head right now. Am I allowed? Am I allowed to take communion? Because in my church, we don't let people take communion, right? You're in. Okay, so here's what I mean by that. Here's what we believe here at Flatirons. As best as you can understand, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? That he was born that he lived a, a, a perfect life, that he volunteered to go to a cross to pay for your sin, if you put a little bit of faith as best you can in what he did for you to count for you, you're forgiven and God will come and live inside of you, his spirit will live inside of you and you'll have eternal life. If you believe that, or if you've forgotten that, then as we pass bread, a little, little piece of bread and a little cup of, of juice, you eat that bread and you drink that cup and you remember that God still loves you. And Jesus is proof of that. If you don't feel comfortable, you let it go on by. But uh, we're gonna sing away in a manger together. We're gonna pass that, and then I'll come back and I'll close our, our service out. Before we do that, let's pray together. So God, um, here on Christmas week, we take a time out to not just look at the how it happened, which is beautiful, but the why behind it. And that is because you so loved us, never stopped loving us, knew what you needed to do so that we could be with you, be back with you. You sent Jesus to us. And so we eat this bread, which represents his body, and we drink this cup, which represents his blood that was poured out for us to rescue us from death and condemnation and live with him forever. We love you. Thank you for Jesus. In his name I pray, amen. I, I don't know what your favorite part of Christmas is. This is mine. Um, I mean, I like the presents, I like the music, I like uh, the handsome preacher, I like all that. Um, but um, 15 years ago I said, as long as I'm the pastor here, we will light candles and sing Silent Night until they drag my carcass out of here. So I'm trying to keep my word here. Um, so here's what we're gonna do. Hey guys, come on up. Um, 
So I want to go back to that, that first story. So God could have chosen to cho change the world any way he wanted to, but he picked a teenage girl and a 20-something-year-old boy and goes, I want to start with you. And if they had said no, I don't know what would happen. And then he, he made a decision, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start spreading the message around the world. He could have done it any way he wanted, but he chose some kids in a field and said, well, you tell everybody about this. And they said, yeah, we're in. So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna light candles, but I've asked the next gen to help us tonight uh, to do this, all right? So here's what's gonna happen. I'm gonna light theirs. And I, I know, because you're flat irons and you hate rules, and so what you're gonna do is you're gonna flick your bick and get started fast. And Jesus is watching, that's all I wanna say. So it's gonna take a while for the flame to get to some of you, but didn't, in that life, didn't it take a while for Jesus to get to some of us? And some of us have did points of our life going, are you gonna make it or not? Is he coming my direction or not? So just wait patiently for the Lord, because unto you a child is born, unto you a son is given. So I'm gonna light these young disciples that are standing here beside me. I'm gonna light their first, and then they're gonna spread the word, the light of, the light of Christ is gonna come in your direction, okay? All right, so let's stand together, and, uh, and let's worship with candles and with silent night. Here we go.